We put ourselves out there. We, we ask the tough or silly questions or, or share a story that just seems ridiculous. But what that does is it gets them, like you said, smiling, laughing. They can relate to it. And once you get that, people start opening up. They start relaxing, their minds relax, and then the, the really great ideas come out. Welcome, everybody, to Equality Podcast Season 2. We are excited today to have as our guest Adam Lawrence. Adam Lawrence is the Managing Partner for Process Improvement Partners, LLC. Adam has over 30 years in industry and has been consulting for over three years now and is the author of The Wheel of Sustainability, a great book about how you can use Kaizen to make your business better and sustain okay. results. Adam, what are you doing today? Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to be with you all today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Good deal. So why don't we start out a little bit about you. Tell me about your background, experience, what you're doing now, what's cool, all of that good stuff. All right. Well, appreciate that question. So as you said earlier, so have an industrial engineering uh, degree from Virginia Tech. So let's hear for the Virginia Tech for beating UNC yesterday, just to mess with the timing. It was a house divided. My wife is a UNC fan. Look, he's all, I've already upset my, your co-host. So that's awesome. Um, started straight out in industry uh, in North Carolina with a furniture company and moved all around the country doing various engineering operations and then continuous improvement work. Uh, and did BT, a bunch is of, a, uh, BT is a, like a real engineering school, right? So I'm looking for like University of the State of Michigan, Purdue, Virginia Tech. University right? of Phoenix. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Listen, you're going to ask me now what's a hokey, right? Is that is that part of it? <laughs> it's always coming. You yeah, are right, that's right. So the answer is nobody knows. Actually, we do know, but it's just not even that interesting. It was just a rhyming word. So, uh, so we like to think we were an engineering school. I mean, really known for a lot of different things. But when I went, it was it was a pretty broad type, diverse university, lots of opportunity, but did get me my first job. So that helped a lot. Uh, and then moved around in industry for quite a number of years. Like I said, last six years, I was the lean champion for a technology group. Uh, that was global. And then three years, three and a half years, I went out on my own to help uh, organizations around the world. And my main focus is trying to create sustainable solutions, mainly through Kaizen events, engaging and empowering folks through, through efforts to solve some really complex business problems. Well, we decided since we're recording today in person and not uh, via Zoom that we would have a physical signal when the next guy wanted to talk. So question for you and that is how do you make that engaging fun and sustainable <laughs> and sustainable and sustainable well, i'm not really sure i can compete with the activity on the other side of the screen but yeah so normally we try not to beat up our team members so i guess that <laughs> but but right so what I've learned in, in any activity is everybody wants to be a part of the solution. They want their voice to be heard. So what I try to do is I facilitate events. We're bringing in ways of thinking and so on, but we're also trying to get people to be creative, feel comfortable, feel safe about 
sharing their ideas, do a lot of drawing, storytelling, giving people some creative ways to express who they are, get to know each other, kind of have some fun, you know, do a lot of icebreaker stuff, two truths and a lie is kind of fun. You find out about people, uh, people find out about each other, the things they never knew. One key member on one team told everybody that he had been in jail and they thought it was a lie and it was not, and they were all shocked. So it was kind of cool. Things going the rest of the week, but you know, in the end, when they've solved the problem, they not only have they solved the problem in a sustainable way, but they got to know each other better and they learned how to work as a team. So I always find that to be fun. People get more done when they're having fun. I truly believe. Yeah. That. See, I love that because, well, a little bit about my background. Um, I got my undergraduate from Pensacola Christian College and was working in. Uh, third-party logistics. We handled um, 100% of the forward logistics for T-Mobile in North America. Um, so it was a, you know, super fast-paced, uh, high-volume warehouse where we're shipping out mostly cell phones. And I had a boss who um, knew that I had a background in logistics with Walmart at a regional DC, uh, knew that, you know, I was kind of sharp and believed in me and he put me in charge of a department and the, for the people that are listening on audio i'm sorry you're missing a lot uh this week but um i turned the department around from losing 30 grand a month to making about 10 grand uh, profitable and uh he surprised me with a bonus and it was you know, in IQ 400 play because he gave me less than I would have asked for myself, but because he went first, first mover advantage, I had to say yes, I couldn't be ungrateful, right? So really super sharp guy. And uh, he's the one that said, you know, you have a, you know, a college degree, but you need your MBA, you need to go back to school. So went to the University of Louisville, got my master's in business, um, eventually went to uh, MIT and took some classes in supply chain management, um, lots of engineering stuff. But sort of after that experience, I moved on to a, th a third party logistics company as a senior continuous improvement manager. And what I found out, you know, and I've been finding out ever since, right, is that the main barrier to lean implementation and continuous improvement is the psychology component. Right. It's not the like the concepts are so simple. Everybody can grasp them. You know, I've done like complex math and rarely used it at work because the problems aren't that complicated, you know. But the very simple solutions, everybody understands them, but can the people work together to accomplish them? Right. So I like that you brought that up because that's been, you know, now it's been 10 years of experience where that's that's what it is my the major part of what i do is helping people to work together and kind of pull on the same rope in the same direction yeah people have to feel comfortable and safe sharing their thoughts you know i've done this all over the world and i always was told you know certain cultures they're not going to speak up because they're not the highest level in the room they're not allowed to have an opinion or they won't say their idea because it's not if it's not fully formed they're uncomfortable you know what, if you just ask people what they're thinking, right, just let them tell their story. Anybody, everybody's got a story to share. 
if you can just get them telling their story, then, then it starts moving forward and you don't have those cultural or, or, you know, these preconceived notions around what's okay to share and what's not okay to share. We're all there to try to improve a situation. And if you set up your team properly, right? So these are people that want to solve the problem because it affects them directly. So they have skin in the game, right? So the idea is I want my life to be easier to accomplish. I want my work to be easier to accomplish. So get those folks involved, listen to them, give them the opportunity to try it. If it didn't work, let's, what did we learn? How do we improve it? You know, we'll never run out of ideas before we run out of time. So, but at that, but, you know, if you facilitate well, we're implementing the highest value stuff first and the 127th idea may not get used. Okay, that's fine. But at least you got the first 20 or 30 and you found out and you gave it a try and you all helped each other. And people are just pretty amazing because they typically rise and beat the challenge anyway. Yeah, I've found in, in past Kaizen's that just validating the other person's perspective, even if you don't take the idea at all, or quite frankly, even if the idea is stupid, like people are talking because they want to be heard and validating that opinion is like a critical piece. That's what's led me to the very much unfully formed idea of being the funniest lean guy on LinkedIn is generally if I get you to laugh or smile once first, you're already bought into wherever the conversation goes. Right. You can't not relate to the guy that's got you cracking up. Right. And yeah. you think about it as we facilitate teams, right? So we, we've had all that experience and they've not for the most part, right? The people I tend to work with, it's going to be their first or second experience. It's not going to be their 300th experience. So we put ourselves out there. We, we ask the tough or silly questions or, or share a story that just seems ridiculous. But what that does is it gets them, like you said, smiling, laughing. They can relate to it. You ask somebody what the color of their first car was, and automatically they're thinking back to typically a positive experience, right? Your first car, some cultures I've had to ask first bicycle, right? Because not everybody had cars, but, but usually there's something about that that sparks a positive memory. And once you get that, people start opening up, they start relaxing, their minds relax, and then the, the really great ideas come out. Yeah, and even the ability to just share problems, right? Mm -hmm. um, I was working at a large distribution facility. Uh, it was consumer goods, and it was for one specific manufacturer. And from that warehouse, we would distribute out to other businesses, Walmart, Target, so on and so forth. And so it had a few different channels, you know, an e-com, uh, less than truckload, full truckload um, type of setup. Yeah. And there was a small group of employees that did a pick, pack and ship for less than pallets. So a lot of these companies are just ordering a whole pallet of fill in the blank, right? Um, well, these guys uh, really had a tough time with what they were trying to do what they were trying to accomplish. And there was a culture of grumbling. You know, nobody cares, right? We're we're the real soldiers here. Everyone else is, you know, sipping lattes and and you know, riding segways around the warehouse, but we're the real workers. And I just walked through the the work area with these employees and observed them, asked them some questions, and they all had this attitude, you know, and, and kind of this, um, well, why should I tell you nobody does anything about it anyway, you know, kind of thing. 
So as we got near the end of the day, I just everyone that I passed, I said, hey, we're going to we're going to meet over here, you know, 10 minutes before the end of the shift or whatever. I just want to, you know, hear what everyone has to say in one place. Uh, so we did that. And it was like, you know, taking your finger out of the dam or whatever. They all just opened up. It was just, you know, this gushing of stuff they'd been bottling in the whole time. And probably 50% of it, once they got done complaining, right, mm -hmm. about half of it, they kind of all agreed, well, I mean, that's kind of why we have a job. You know, if if that wasn't a thing, then we might not be getting paid right now. So that's okay. We can we can live with that. I get it. But the other 50% was a gold mine. You know, we uncovered the fact that the software system was improperly engineered. Um, mm -hmm. It was directing them to do things they couldn't physically do. Like, you know, I'm on a ground level fork truck and it wants me to pick from the fifth level. Mm -hmm. um, and the workaround was go find somebody with a high reach truck to go get it for you. Wow, you know, like the level of, of inefficiency there is staggering when it would take 30 seconds of code change for this to be right. Um, so just letting people talk and complain can be a huge lever. And then, you know, you dig down and it's like, well, the reason they didn't want to complain is the last time they did, you know, somebody smacked them for it. Right. And so there's this code of Omerta going on where it's like, don't speak bad about your, about your job. Well, is it speaking bad or is it just being honest about the challenges we face? Cause that sounds like a leadership issue to me. Right. Right. Have you seen a lot in your time doing this work, Adam, where people are literally confined by their electronic solution and that holds them back and creates a whole subset of behaviors in, in their work environment? I have many examples of that, but frankly, I, I tend to be away from the automated side of things. Um, but but I, will, I will share a, a quick story very similar to that. So working for a consumer goods company doing a Kaizen event this about three years ago, and their issue was uh, their Amazon business was exploding, right? So they designed their approach to Amazon when it was early in their relationship. So they had to put a label on every product going through, whereas if they sent to Walmart, one label per pallet, 150 items, right? So there was quite a bit of difference. So, okay, that's fine. So what, what we found out was they were delivering, let's call it eight days, and they need to get down to four days or else they would be fined. And it was just over a million dollars per year. So it seemed like a pretty high value Kaizen event. Let's get from eight days to four days and eliminate $1.2 million in fines. Okay, great, no problem. So we gamble walked the whole process. You know, We found the printer for Amazon all the way in the back corner of the facility very you know it was the oldest printer and it was you know it was not convenient and it was the least maintained and all that okay so it's fairly obvious what to do about that but what we also found out was um amazon orders were being taken uh manually so amazon calls uh there was a person at corporate between 9 and 6 p.m and uh if an amazon order came in at that point she could manipulate it and do whatever but if it came after 6 p.m., it would just wait till the next day. Okay, so we could wait 14 hours. But even worse, if it was on Friday, 72 hours or whatever the number is. You know, I don't get into the high math. But anyway, okay. So you're sitting there as the facilitator, and you're kind of wondering, hmm, that just doesn't seem right. What are you doing for Walmart? Well, we have that automated in our 
in our uh, system. Well, uh, what do you have to do to automate Amazon? And <clears throat> one of the team members was from their corporate IT. And she said, well, I just fixed that. Oh, so <laughs> there it is. I mean, like you say, just the most obvious of answers. Why would you, but nobody had worked together. Yeah. They'd just been paying money and things were in their way. Now, that wasn't the only thing they solved that week, but it, it was a big one because it took up to two and a half days out of the process. And basically now, since the DC, the distribution center worked 24 hours a day, if an Amazon order came in at any time, it could be dealt with versus waiting until the next day. So that well, made no sense. That story strikes so home for me because it's so specific to one of my first very successful Kaizen's where uh, this company does furniture and they sell through just Amazon. That's their only channel. And the problem was volume had outscaled their processes and the very okay. same vein as what you just described. Right. They were thoroughly walking the facility and reviewing the, the process and asking all these open-ended questions. Like the root of the issue was they would have to print 20, 30,000 labels a day from a machine that prints one label every five seconds. So it would have to run 24 seven just to print the physical amount of labels that needed to be applied. And so then we went through, how could we engineer a set of roller racks where we could push the stuff down and have multiple machines and print all the labels out and went through several iterations of discussing in like a four hour, four day burst before we found out that machine just had an option. <laughs> And that, that machine could go up to 20 labels a second. And those those simple wins are like some of the most fascinating in my career. Yeah. Yeah. So what was what was kind of neat. So, you know, I focus on the sustainability of stuff. So the idea was not just to solve and, you know, correct the the inner um, the automated portion, but what was the system that would tell them if we're on track, right? So we created a bunch of visuals, we created some nice standard work, we created ownership, right? So nobody owned anything. So, you know, you guys were talking about it earlier, you know, personalizing, getting people to really feel like they're part of it, rather than being told what to do or thrust upon. So the whole system that we developed using, you know, I call it the wheel of sustainability, but it was just these components of sustainability that I have the team test their solution around to make sure we're not missing something so that at 2 a.m. somebody that wasn't on the team is still doing it the right way because it, they realize it's better for them to do it the right way rather than, well, I'm just going to do it the way I used to always do it. Why suffer if you yeah. understand how much better and easier it is, if there's a clear benefit for you and you can see it and it's impossible to do it wrong, why wouldn't you do it the easier way? Unless you don't know or you just tend to... <laughs> buck the system but you know you don't have to do that do you find that uh, a majority maybe it is maybe it isn't but do you personally find a majority of where that gap stems from is not understanding how is the individual creates value within the process because that's been my observation is they either don't know precisely what happens before or precisely what happens after they touch it and how that behavior you know affects those outcomes so, you know, great, great thought, great question. So one thing I like to try to do with teams is help, help them feel like business owners, right? Mm. So if you don't feel like a business owner, you're typically just in your little box. Here's what I do, keep my head down, do my thing, do my thing, do my, and, and I don't really see how it affects or impacts my customer, either the next person down the line or the final 
purchaser, but we, we are all consumers and customers, right? So one thing we know, there's some inarguable principles. One is we really won't survive if we're disappointing customers. The other one is around safety is no one wants to go home hurt. Okay, so when, when I work with teams, I'm always trying to get them thinking in those principles to say, okay, look, you're doing what's good for you, but look what it's doing for the customer, right? So as you said, what is my role? What is the value that I provide? Well, once we teach them about waste, once we teach them about non-value add, now they can start to say, wait a minute, this, this really is not helping the customer and it's really making my life kind of tough. So why don't we figure a, a way to remove, eliminate, minimize, whatever, because everybody benefits from that. And most of the time when we reduce waste, we're improving safety anyway. So this is good. I can, I can make my life easier, safer, less stressful, less effort, you know, and oh, by the way, the customer benefits. So again, what would be great, and this is what lean transformations try to do, is get everybody to feel that they are part of the solution, part of the value adding process, that they're business owners, whatever, what have you. The Kaizen event is a nice way to accelerate that. You know, it's not the only way, right? Because this is truly a leadership process. Um, you know, you can't have a Kaizen event if you don't have leadership to support that, right? And you want the team to have a winning experience. But it's a neat catalyst because people can see that these things are possible. They see that they can be part of the solution. And then the goal and the hope is that people want more of that. Oh, I like what you did over here. Can we work on my area over there? Yeah. Look for those cues, look for that opportunity and get leadership to see it, recognize that it's happening so that they can take advantage of all those positive potential outcomes. Yeah, there's something to be said for like lean going viral in your building, yeah. in your organization. I've seen it happen a couple of times where, mm -hmm. you know, maybe the team was really skeptical. And, and to be frank, it's usually the leadership team. Um, yeah. I hear a lot about frontline employees uh, being jaded and, oh, it's the flavor of the month and all that. And I've Evil. experienced that. Yeah, I've experienced that. But what I've also experienced is if it's a chance to go sit in a conference room and have a cup of coffee and participate in something, man, they're all over it. They might in the back of their mind say, yeah, I, this is never going to work, but they're not like opposed to it. Right. right. They're, they're tolerant. At least it's management that tends to be more uh, egoistical, honestly, and defensive. Right. So we've had situations I've personally been in situations where I'm, under the direction of somebody sort of up here in the organization, they're like, fix my stuff, you know, and then I'm down here and the site leaders are like, well, what's wrong with how we're doing things now? You don't know anything anyway. Oh, oh, MIT, I guess you're special, you know? And, and so we just have an agreement. Hey, I get it, man. I, I know exactly where you're coming from. I've managed plants before and guess what? I have an ego. I know that. And I know you do too. It's okay. Here's what we're going to do. Let's start with this area. And all we're going to do, we're just going to 5S this little, it's your return stock, right? It's nothing. We're just going to 5S that. We're going to have one little Kaizen event. And, and hey, you know, if you get a return on your investment, great. And if you don't, then we'll just, we'll just stop. It doesn't work. You're right. Let's make it a test case, right? So then we do it. And three days later, every other employee is getting whiplash looking at this area. They're like this mm -hmm. went from a complete dump to that looks like, you know, Apple headquarters or something. That guy gets to work there and he's done before it's time to clock out. How did that happen? 
hey, I need you guys to come to my come to my area. You need to do and and then like the lean goes viral. So I love seeing you know that happen with organizations and realizing we can engineer our own success. Like we're empowered to actually change the business and to own it. And That's just seeing that it. it is the best is part, the best right? Part. And and just seeing people light up and suddenly understand I'm not just a paid employee that puts on a McDonald's shirt every day and trades time for money. I'm actually part of the value creation process, right? Absolutely. No, and that's what's so exciting about doing that kind of work. Look at that. Look at that. I, I don't have a glass. <laughs> we're so I'll raise my you know, hand. For, for you audio listeners, we're drinking whiskey here. But if you, we were so terrified we'd get on and you'd be like some adamant anti-alcohol person. You'd be upset. I'm like, this is, this is a virgin whiskey. <laughs> it's just brown water. No, no worries. Well, I will tell you that nobody ever said hokey. Oh, you're some big shot hokey because <laughs> they're like, yeah. that ain't MIT, I get that. Dad actually went to MIT. He was a chemical engineer. So, well, yeah. Uh, um, uh, I mean, Virginia Tech is well known as a great engineering school. Um, so, we drank a lot of whiskey too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm yeah. from Texas. So, my postgraduate studies were in a field, but uh, <laughs> 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 it was a good one. Is a good one. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So pancake over here, who always falls flat. Um, but yeah, it and it, it honestly, it doesn't matter with the education or right. um, certifications or whatever. If you're messing in somebody else's business, they're going to be a little resentful. That's okay. And it just feeds back into this idea that like the most underdeveloped uh, and value add part of lean is the people part. I think. Toyota gets that, and mm -hmm. that's why you have a bunch of people like sniffing around the edges of TPS and sometimes never able to grasp it because they don't realize that the money doesn't come first. The waste right. reduction doesn't come first. It's continuous improvement, respect for people. Those are the right. two things that they value and how you interface with people. Now, all of a sudden, I can do all these other things. Well, I do, I do think the Superman culture also struggles where we expect management yeah. to come in with a cape and yeah. have all of the answers. Yeah. And then when we connect with somebody like yourself that is a consultant, we're like, all right, well, what kind of capes he got? What answers is he coming with? Right, right. What's what your superpower? Generally, we don't have answers. We come in and start asking the probing questions and facilitate the guys that are already there to get those right. answers. Well, yeah. and it goes back to respect for people, right? So. The fact that we don't believe we have the answers. The only thing we have the luxury of is exposure to so many other teams, other solutions, other industries, which is right. great because then what we can do is if a team is struggling to come up with an option, we can give them choices, right? I've seen it done this way. I've seen it done that way. I've seen it this way. You know, does any of this make any sense for you? So, you know, do you want to you want to put up a whiteboard to see your process and how you're doing? Do you want to automate? What do you want to do? Uh, but what do you want to do in a way that will help people, right? So it goes back to the point of here's how we helped people in many different industries and in many different situations and scenarios. So those are options. So people that usually sparks ideas. So I try to hide. So you know I don't have whiskey. I have a ninja. So that's me. Right? Nice. So the idea of the ninja was that they're in the background, right? 
Uh, no one knew they were kind of stealth. So it doesn't usually have a positive connotation, right? But the idea a black is, belt. we're just not going to tell, well, I don't even do the belt thing, but it's more about, they were able to get in when no one was paying any attention and change things, right? So good facilitation, great facilitation, when it looks like you didn't do a thing, yeah, right? You absolutely didn't do a thing, but what you're doing is you're guiding from the side. You're, you're helping people feel comfortable again, enough that they can try and fail and learn and try and fail and learn and you're challenging them now sometimes the ninja had to jump in and take out the the the, the hero or whatever but or the villain sometimes i've had to do that so if they're going to try to violate the laws of physics okay i gotta jump in right? Right, right so so normally you know i joke with them all the time i say okay you're, we're going to let you, you're going to implement whatever you want, because we're going to charter it in such a way that you are authorized, whatever your answer is, that's what we're going to do, unless it's illegal, immoral, or violates the laws of physics. In that case, we, we got to cut, we got to draw the line. Right? Yeah, got I, I, I speak a lot about logical incongruence, where like even, you know, so probably of my 6,000 connections on LinkedIn, probably 50% of them are more are in the CI world. And I'll even get posts from them that they're logically incongruent. What they assert versus the data they have do not go together in any meaningful way. And it's a it's a fun like point of being human to recognize we have implicit bias and that we have to review exactly what we're saying and that it does fall within the laws of physics and the reality of this physical world. Right. Oh, you mean a critical realist epistemology? Yes. You yeah. guys blurred me out all the logical incongruence, and I don't even know what you said. <laughs> a critical sure realist. Maybe the whiskey came through. <laughs> no, no he doubt. said a critical realistic epistemology. Not critical realistic, critical realist. It's what science is based on, as opposed to a postmodern. I'm sticking with realistic because realism is, is a much worse fit. You know, why do we act in this culture like it's bad to actually read books and know stuff? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or to insinuate physical violence to assert your point? Speaking of which, why turn it off? So what I love about uh, your presence on LinkedIn and, you know, one of the reasons we reached out to you was your focus on people and the sustainability part, right? Because for better or for worse, that's what pretty much everybody struggles with. Um, Wheel of Sustainability, I'm gonna, you know, confess I haven't read it yet, but it's on my to purchase list. I just, I have this OCD method for ordering and reading books, and I have it programmed out for like eight months. So I'm gonna get to it. I'm really looking forward to it. But I was hoping you could share with us in the audience, you know, just enough that everyone goes out and buys the book, but not so much that we don't have to buy the book. All right. Well, uh, well, first, the first, I appreciate that. So the first thing I would tell you is never write a book because you think you're going to sell a lot of books. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. <laughs> we both have books. We both have books. We, we definitely right. know. And that's cool. And maybe you will. And I think it's awesome. But so everybody's got a story to tell, right? And so what I learned over the many years was my story was how I was helping teams solve problems in a sustainable way. So about 10, 15 years ago, I was tired of helping teams solve problems and the problems would come back. And I said, I got to do better. I got to do better. I got to figure this out because it was driving me crazy, you know, and, you know, why put in all the effort? So, so I came up with a number of components and, you know, trial and error, trial and error, trial and error. Eventually I found that there are nine components 
So the image of a wheel is that it's got a hub and eight spokes. The hub is leadership commitment. And the spokes, you know, I could name them all, you could, or you could look at the picture, right? Um, but, you know, but the idea was that if you put in those components with strong leadership commitment and you, and you are, and you have the team actually put those components in during the project, during the event, during the workshop, you have a really great chance of sustaining the, your solution, right? So it goes anywhere from, no, I'll walk you through it really quick. I won't explain them all. Notification, we're speaking to people of the change. Why does it matter? Training and review, we're doing tell, show, and do like TWI, right? We've got visible evidence, meaning that from 20 feet away, I can see if the thing is working or not working. The point is, if it's not working, we go in and help. If it is working, we congratulate. We've given everybody, I call it all tools available, meaning that you have everything you need to get what you're trying to get accomplished done. Then the the next one is called clear benefits, meaning that somebody that wasn't there sees it as value to them. What's in it for me? My team hates that step during the Kaizen. Early on, they're forming this new idea. I make them go out one-to-one -one and talk to people that aren't on the team and get their opinion. Well, guess what? Most people don't like it the first time they hear it. But that's great because they get unfiltered feedback. And then the other people that weren't on the team, they have their voice heard. The next is layered audits, right? So the person does their work, they audit it. Next level audits, next level audits. Audits have to be five minutes or less or people won't do them. And they have to be engaging, meaning we participate. We do not do it from the uh, away. And we correct behavior if we see it, that it's not right. And, but we're having, you know, engaging conversation. And I always have whoever's auditing, sign off that you did so everybody can see you were there. The next is accountability. So that means... If you had a small child about to put their hand on a stove and they were going to burn their hand, you would stop them. You would hold yourself accountable to keep them safe. This is if somebody's going off the standard, you you can't just walk by. You got to participate. You got to you got to feel like it's important enough, or else why did you do it? And the last is what we've been doing all day: recognition, telling of stories. So when somebody makes an improvement that they're proud of and they're telling that story, we encourage it. And then the ultimate is when somebody tells a story as if they were there, but they hadn't been there. So that's when you were talking about things going viral, right? So people start to see that this is helpful. So I wrote the book during the pandemic because I had a lot of time on my hands. I'm a hands-on guy. I'm an on-site guy. I had a lot of time. I cranked up tunes in the morning. I started typing and I wrote 36 stories of teams that either used it or didn't use it. Things from my home, things from service, things from... Uh, manufacturing, non-manufacturing, it didn't really matter because there's so many ways to help people. And, and the central theme is around how to create that image so that leadership can do what they're supposed to do to support all of this so that they get the benefit of the hard work that their people are doing. So that, took, that, was, that was all over the place, <laughs> but that, that's what I wrote. I have a profound love for two of the things you mentioned within that. The first of which is the visual management piece. Both of me, I read your conversation and in the middle of there. I think that is like the single most impactful, apologies to all the blind people listening in, but it is the single most <laughs> vital piece of, of warehousing, manufacturing, and our you know varying industries where I can see, touch, feel what my impact is doing right now in real time. And I, I love that. And then the second bit is regular accountability. As we focus more and more and and move into the future, is what we think culture actually means. A lot of people misattribute that to just losing accountability, and I'm like, no, 
true winners and true winning environments have a high level of regular accountability. Right. I can't tell you all the times my life was better off for John going, you're an idiot, do this instead. And you know, writing that ship and there's even part in my book, which has sold 10 million copies in my own brain and nowhere else. Um, that, <laughs> that's about stop biting my fingernails where he said, is it a problem? No. Is it going to hurt you? No. Does it make you look like you're, you know, maybe less of a leader as you stand in a room and unsure about what you're talking about? Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, it kind of does. If I sit here, right. You know, right. so it was a fantastic small point that mm -hmm. accountability, both as peers and as leaders, like moves us all forward in a very sustainable way. So thank you for that. Well, I appreciate that. So the goal was to create the image of each of those components, right? Because it's really easy to say accountability. Accountability is fun until it happens to you. Sure. So what we're really trying to say is, what does that look like? What does that feel like? How hard could that be? So let's think about this. So I told you the story about uh, closing eight days down to four and saving $1.2 million. So we have a new system, right? So, so you see somebody not following the system. You make a choice. The choice is to keep walking to your meeting and, and just avoid them, which basically then says it's okay to do it wrong. Or you take the time and engage with the person, have the conversation, help them understand why doing it that way will be a disbenefit. And now they understand, and now you make a decision on whether their behavior can be resolved in that engaging conversation or you have somebody that's choosing to do the wrong thing, right? But if you don't have the conversation, you'll never know. And you'll just blame. And all you do is blame. And you're, now you're paying fines again. So is that worth it? The, my thought is no. So the easiest image from a manufacturing side is, are you willing to, somebody, to watch somebody not lock out a punch press and put their hands right. in harm's way? Right. And if the answer is yes, I don't want to work for you anyway. <laughs> But if the answer is no, then think about it the same way. So you're putting, you're letting people put themselves in harm's way. You're going to hold yourself accountable to keep that from happening. Then you should do the same thing for critical work that's to the benefit of the customer. That's quite, so now that's the image. So it's really hard to argue that because you, you put the team together to solve a pretty critical problem. Why would you want it to come back? Right, right. Yeah. But, so Going back to what you said, the visuals, just real quick, the way we think, the way I think of visuals is they're so well created and simple that it's almost impossible to do something wrong. Therefore, you're making it easy for the person doing the work to do it right. Right. So they, you know, so again, if they're trying to do the right thing, what you've done is you've reinforced what the right thing is in such a simple way. So you're giving them the whole system to do things right. But as yeah, my, as, yeah, humans as my uh, friend John Thacker here would put it, you're expanding the mean in which leptocursus occurs. Dude, put on some fucking deodorant. What's wrong with you? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I like that. I like mobster movies and TV shows. Okay. It's probably a character flaw. But how come everybody that we know is not a gangster? And the answer is, it is several orders of magnitude more difficult and more risky to earn a living that way than to just do it the right way, right? <laughs> In the same way, if we create systems at work where it's easier and you're more successful to do it the right way, why would anybody do it a different way, right? So 
I always work with leadership to help them make the way they want it done easier than the other way. If it's more difficult, it's not sustainable. Like you're not going to get there because people are going to do it the easy way, right? So wheel of sustainability, love it, looking forward to it. Um, I just had a couple of thoughts there that I jotted down. The first is, do you have a favorite element? I know, I know they all work together, but is there one that, you know, you just really love? So there are two. All right. There are two. So, you know, in, in our community, the answer is always, it depends, right? So I love it because it's the most challenging, but it can be the highest value, which is the leadership commitment. So think of that image of the wheel, the hub, right? So if a spoke goes missing, the wheel is weaker. If the hub goes missing, there is no wheel. Right? <laughs> right. The whole thing falls apart. Yeah. So the work that I do to get leadership prepared to be able to engage their team and support their team and commit to their team is, is, is the most challenging because they've not seen the solution. They have no idea. They just know we're gonna give it a try, right? So that's one piece. Then the little, you know, the deviant in me, um, if that's the proper word, probably not, MIT guy. This is the that. proper word. <laughs> Clear benefits. Okay, so we're in, let's say it's a three and a half day Kaizen event. We're in about day and a quarter. And now I'm gonna send them out to talk to people that weren't involved and my team members do not like that. They're like, what are you doing to us? Now, I know what I'm doing to them. They have to go out and understand what the rest of the population thinks about this. Now you're not gonna get all of them. So we just have one-on-ones, but I've had to break up some really challenging conversations. Now I'm a little guy, I'm five foot, six and a quarter. So I've broken up six foot eight and six foot two you know, 280, and I'm the little dog, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I got you, I got you. Um, so, but what does that do? Well, what it does is it, it really makes you refine and understand what will help people, right? And you're going to get that feedback. Why not get it early? But we've had situations where they found out, oh, we missed something critical. Like, we didn't realize none of us are left-handed, and we've designed it a right-handed solution. And we're like, now it's hard for me not to say I told you so, right? But <laughs> the point is, it's good to find that stuff out before it's too late. You're still yeah. gonna make mistakes, but so favorites for different reasons, right? And I'm a storyteller, so you could argue that I love the recognition side too. I, oh, yeah. I yeah. love the honesty behind real benefits because as somebody who can admit I'm a selfish human being primate on this earth, is that we all have a little bit of self-fulfillment out of this process. Even if I'm fixing your problem, I get this sense of like pride and fulfillment that come along with it. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, that real benefits are what matter to human being. The only yeah. reason I talk to this guy is because there are real benefits. Right. I love you no, too. We, sometimes we get so paid awesome. too. Yeah, even if we get five minutes in and he starts talking about like the study of urine or some other epistemology, uh, <laughs> it's, there's real benefits to, you know, being in his life that are, are mutual and part of what has us coming back every day. So the other thing that I jotted down, because I've kind of seen this happen and I'd love to hear your experience, but, you know, the leadership commitment, the hub of the wheel, great visual, by the way, I love it. Um, what happens, or tell me about a time, right? Leadership changes 
and the overall org doesn't have that uh, philosophy or written process or whatever, um, and the new guy comes in and has to make his mark, and he just tears everything to shreds, all the improvements or whatever. I was taking the hub out. That's what I was doing. Any, <laughs> you know, you know what I was saying. Don't hit him. Yeah. Okay. Right. Leadership's always going to change. So what what do you have to do? You got to get ownership at the process level, right? So if I have a nice, well-owned, strong process that is generating great return, keeping people safe and so on at the process level. But, I, you know, let's be honest. The reality is some things are beyond us. We can only do the best we can with what we're given. So I create the image. We have, you know, the plant managers in place and the technical manager and, and they're supporting, supporting. And then, you know, that person retires and moves on, bring somebody. If they make a change, sometimes it's going to be stronger than anything we've done. All we can do, and, and we know this because as consultants, it's challenging because we're not part of that organization, right? What we, the only thing we can do is the best we can to help people do the right thing. <clears throat> so the elements of the wheel are trying to make it impossible to do the right, do the wrong thing, make it almost impossible to do the wrong thing. Why would you put people in harm's way? Why would you disappoint customer? But in the end, something may change. So the reality is, we used to weld things. So in the 90s, the only way we could sustain anything was we welded stuff on the factory line. But you guys know in the South, they call it the red wrench. Yeah. You guys know what that means, right? Yeah. So if I got to cut it off, I'm going to cut it off. Well, the thing is running. We're not jamming anymore. It used to jam nine times a shift and is now jamming zero. And we welded it in place. Why would you, why would you do that? Well, the answer is we're all humans and sometimes we think we have a better solution or maybe maybe we just aren't doing the right thing. Some things are beyond our ability to control. Um, I don't know how to, you know, I don't know how to tell you that there's a perfect solution because I think even Toyota has had setbacks, right? They've learned that maybe we expanded too quickly into other markets and we weren't able to create that same level of culture and standardization of approach, you know, in the United States, in the UK, and so on. So they had to regroup and so on. But what they knew was, it's important to do this well and right, because then people can rely on our products, no matter where they are in the world. But if companies are unwilling to do that, and they're just trying to make their quarterly numbers, and somebody's trying to look better than somebody, that culture is going to be hard to, to create sustainability from leader to leader to leader. Somebody's trying to show themselves each other up. I, I don't think I can change that. I yeah. can just try to provide the image of what I think good looks like. Yeah, I, I like how you put that, um, you know, show each other up. I've worked with a couple of um, international manufacturers, which I won't name, obviously, but household name that went through leadership transitions and the culture was so Darwinian, you know, it, it was offensive almost. And you'd have the new leader come in under this culture where I have to come in and make my mark quickly, like in the first 90 days. Prove your worth or, kind of thing? Yeah, prove your worth, you know, prove that I'm better than the guy I replaced um, mm. 
type of thing. And it, it brings in all of these elements that are antithetical to not just good business management, but continuous improvement. So it's a combination of the CAPE thing, you know, like really do you understand systems and functions and objects? Like how do you think that hiring a new general manager who has, you know, four operations managers and 27 supervisors and 58 team leads and 650 hourly employees, how do you think changing that one guy is going to get you meaningfully different outcomes. Right. It, I mean, it's really ignorant to begin with. So you have the, the Superman cape thing going on. You have the I'm going to reward you for business outcomes that are short term and on paper mm -hmm. instead of what are you doing to the sustainability, the long term profitability. Right. Um, I think that Eli Goldratt got a little closer uh, in the book in the goal when he said make money now and in the future mm -hmm. and for some people that was a little bit of a light bulb like yeah you know what quarterly profit results not great now i actually disagree with him very strongly in that because i don't think the goal is to make money now and in the future right i think that's um not holistic I don't think it's sustainable, honestly. Um, but he he changed the conversation a little bit to say, hey, you know, you do have to think about the future too, right? So if you're in the kind of organization that doesn't get it, um, but I think I'm in the same boat as you is, you know, like I need to have a conversation with the board of directors because otherwise, you know, I, I can't do much about this. Yeah, and you can't test a lot for that fire in the belly, as he said earlier in the video. Yes. There's no test I can give you that says, "Are am I actually going to have your commitment and your buy-in? That's got to come from you, right. and there, there's no one else I could get that from. So I'm, I'm at a place in my life, you know, it's just me. <laughs> me, my wife, my son's my IT department, and I got a dog, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> not a lot, not, not a lot of overhead in this, in my world. So there are times which I know that the leadership is not ready for the work that I do. And, and clearly, you know, so there, there are indications. So if you've done 300 to 400 Kaizen events, or some people have done thousands, I haven't done thousands, I've done hundreds. You get a sense for here's the scope of the problem we're trying to solve. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. I need a team of six to eight people, and it's going to be three and a half days because that's how I get them from point A to point B in a sustainable way, right? That's how I'm gonna do it. And if somebody says, well, I, I can only give you a team of four for two days, right? You just know that ain't gonna work. Right, good luck keeping your problems. You're just not going to get to a point. And I've gotten in those conversations a number of times. Um, so that is, that's the first quick, easy example of the commitment ain't there. Well, yeah. I don't have the time to give you. I can't give you the resources. Well, problems just don't solve themselves, right? right? They just don't do that. If they did, we'd all do that. That'd be awesome. Good. Why am well, I here? If I'd like, I'd like to hire you for some family consulting because you mentioned you had a wife and also low overhead. So I'm really interested in how you accomplish that. <laughs> just lucky, man. I'm just lucky. That's all it is. Just lucky. Very fortunate. Very fortunate. Yeah. I love you, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> so See weird. now, you guys, 
I wrote this book. I'm very lucky. I've been married for 30 years. She's a very tolerant woman. Congratulations. Um, one, one neat thing that I was told was she never really knew what I did at work because I always tried to just keep it there at work unless something really ridiculous happened, something funny, right? Because, you know, keep the stress at work at work. So when I wrote the book, one pe I kind of did it on the cheap, okay? <laughs> I'm published through Amazon. They're my printer. You know, somebody recommended this person as editor and that and this kind of stuff. So I don't have a publisher or any of that. Um, so I had some beta readers, some really nice folks that took, took the time to look and give me some really good feedback, yikes. And then they said, you need to have somebody who you trust read it out loud so you can hear it. So during the pandemic, the, the sofa behind me each night, maybe half a chapter, she'd read it out loud to me. And that was kind of cool because it really gave her a better sense for what I did. And also there are a couple stories about her in the book. <laughs> so they had darn well better be right. Yeah, That's not yeah. how I remember it, she said. And yeah. I said, oh, you're probably right. What, what really happened? Because, you know, it's not like she's ever read the book again, but and she, <laughs> she finds some redundancy. We must have eliminated five to 10,000 words. You said the same word six times in this one paragraph. Dang. Because you don't know, you're just typing. Yeah, just, you're just, you, you already know the answer in your brain, so you don't need to read it to justify to yourself the thought you're getting across. I'll share like one of the sweetest moments in my life, if I'm allowed to, and that is how we initially met. And I've shared it once before, I'm going to share it again. But we worked at the same company in warehouses three miles apart from one another, and we had to briefly connect over some yard space or some logistics related nonsense, right? Well, because of that, me being a selfish SOB, connected with him over LinkedIn, because why wouldn't I? Everybody I interact with once at work, I'm gonna do that. And he put out in his book, great. That's a great thing. <laughs> so um, he put out in his book, he was looking for beta readers for his book on LinkedIn. And I'm the one that reached out and said, yes, let me beta read your book. And because I run an operation right now in his book, How to Win as an Operation Supervisor right now, I hit all of those heads. So I read it loved it gave him some feedback a very little of it positive a lot of it critical and uh he invited me over to do some stuff at his site and sure enough we'd eventually go to work together and fall in love so oh, that's great <laughs> uh, that's what inspired me to write my book in which my close friend that i got to read it out loud and rewrite and strike through the garbage was this man right here yep that's great man there was a lot of garbage a lot of garbage <laughs> Listen, well, that's, that's the thing. You have to be able to look, the best books are where you get rid of all the excess garbage. Yep. Yeah, right? absolutely. And it wasn't just, just work. you know, the, the, the best advice I got, and I, were, I tell a lot of stories. I think there are 36 individual stories trying to illustrate each component of the wheel, working, not working. And I wanted to show how to actually do each piece. Right. So I, I did, you know, that was tough because I just was doing it. Right. But a lot of times I get, well, that story doesn't really match that component. It's like, oh, damn, but I love that story. <laughs> you know? So I had to kind of like, okay, get rid of that one. You can't use that one. Use yeah. one that actually does clear benefits or does layered audits or does, you know, leadership commitment or whatever. Um, and there's stories about me almost getting fired because that always happened. You know, us, I was an internal consultant for a while too, right? So yeah. you, you tell that plant manager that, you know, this ain't working and sometimes they don't like that so well. <laughs> right?
Yeah. But that's they, they used to they used to invite me back, but boy oh boy, I'd be in the principal's office more times yeah. than not. Yeah. Because you just have to listen, you got to be true to yourself, right? You're trying to help people. And if this is keeping people from being helped, you gotta you gotta talk to somebody about it. Yeah. Well, I actually lucked out when when I went to college, I went for software engineering. Um, this was like 2000, right? So I lucked out because if I had gone that route, that was pre-smartphone and everything smartphone now, right? Mm -hmm. So I would have kind of graduated just before the really valuable education was available. But I found out like my first semester, I cannot sit in this computer lab. Like I'm, I'm physical. I like people. Yeah. This is, you know, this is not for me. So I didn't, didn't really know what to do. And then I missed a calculus class. So, you know, you have these classes you have to take and I was wrestling, I was on the wrestling team and I was working like 40 hours a week and I was taking 19 credit hours. So I was pretty busy, not sleeping much and missed this class. And then I found out it's like every two years in the spring, hmm. but it's a prerequisite for the next class I have to take. So if I wanted to complete my degree in software engineering, it was going to take like six years. So, you know, talking to the school counselor and stuff like that, what I found out was I can get a liberal arts degree with a certain number of credit hours because you don't have to know shit to get a liberal arts degree. Um, so apologies all to liberal arts Nice. What if you're a Republican? How do you get one of those? We do not bring politics into that. <laughs> we don't podcast. Striking from the from the right. So not to interrupt, but you say pre-smartphone, we had punch cards. Oh what, wow! What is that? We yeah. have to submit. Yeah, what is that? Indeed, right. So every every uh, programming step was on a card where you punched little holes, right? So the big nightmare was if your pack of punch cards, if you tripped and fell, and they <laughs> fell on the ground, to sort them back in order. Oh yeah! Wow. Yeah, there was one. There was one other cool thing you could do because I I was at Virginia Tech, not MIT. So there were these boxes. There were these boxes of the little punchies. Right. So if you computer dotted somebody's room, take the whole box and fill the room, <laughs> it would be months before they cleaned out the computer dots from because these little tiny things stuck to everything. Stuck to everything. So this tells you how old I am, right? Yeah, I've got but some Googling to do. That, I've got some Googling to do. Like a lot of fun. <laughs> well, I, I know what you're you know, talking about. Locking also, right? Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Um, my grandfather was actually an engineer. Um, he worked for like uh, United Technologies and Northrop Grumman, uh, Westinghouse. So I don't even know if any of those companies are still around. But anyway, uh, he wrote his PhD dissertation in longhand. Like, I believe it. You know, and then you had like some, um, whatever you call it, um, administrative assistant, like type it up for you. Like that, that's what you had to do back then. So. Sure. So he's telling me these stories about designing like solid fuel rocket boosters with a slide rule. And I'm like, you know, the test pilots for that thing had balls the size of coconuts. Can you imagine something? So a bunch of dudes with slide rules figured out how to get me to the moon and back without killing me. Holy, oh my gosh, right? We got to learn, first year engineering, we had to learn about the slide rule and how it worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, um, but that's yeah, that's how people did their thing. They had to do it some way, right? Yeah, I've been to Hurricane Harbor. Yeah, it's a what? 
I, I know all about the slide rules. Not that kind of slide rule. <laughs> it's a tool. You... I love is I'll tell a joke he can't relate to at all, and it's always just a dead silent room, and it's my favorite <laughs> thing on this universe. Oh my goodness. Well, <sighs> Wheel of Sustainability, um, your focus is on Kaizen events that help companies to make change that is sustainable. So they'll see, see results right now and in the future, which of course I love because that is the philosophy of Zoom operational excellence, win right now and in the future. Adam, it's hard to believe it's been an hour already. What a fantastic time. Thanks so much for coming on. How can folks connect with you? Right, so I appreciate that. Um, so. I have a, a, my profile on LinkedIn, so find me at Adam Lawrence. I also have a company page on LinkedIn, Process Improvement Partners. Website is uh, pi-partners.com. I have a YouTube channel with 29 subscribers. Awesome. So half of them may be just family members. So <laughs> At least one of them is me. Well, that's 28 more than is we have. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, actually, and you can Google. I have a Google business page as well. Great. Uh, so, you know, all my contact details are, are in those various areas. Love talking about this stuff. You know, we've been doing this over an hour. God help your audience. Maybe you'll edit it down so it won't be so long. <laughs> for their benefit because i can do this all day and doing a bunch of workshops you know in the upcoming months on wheel sustainability and other other things like that so just love to have people reach out and chat i've got a um a link to set up time talk to me i call it discovery call we just chat about whatever you guys want to chat about well, we found out we did this full time, you know, at home for free with just each other on the porch with a cigar. So we thought, why not invite other people and do it on record for people to see? Yeah, so yeah. Nice. it is the genuine passion in life. So any any closing thoughts you want to leave us with? Well, I just I, I like your approach here. You know, you think about the a lot of these can get quite dry and formal. Uh, uh, and so I'm glad that you guys have fun with it. I think that the people should always have fun doing work that they love. Uh, we are very fortunate to be in an industry where we can help people. Uh, and, and thankfully the help that we do doesn't put us in harm's way too often. Thank you so much for coming on. We're really privileged to be able to connect with experienced guys like you, proud of what you're doing in the community and for businesses around the US, for everybody out there in YouTube land, Bye, everybody. Thanks again, guys.